Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of Overtime. Uh, Overtime is our weekly podcast that we do here at the Christian Life Center, where we get to dive into kind of the weekend messages, um, a little bit deeper dive than what we normally are able to get to. So just being able to give an opportunity to answer any questions that you might have, uh, to talk a little bit in greater length about some of the things that we didn't get to. Um, this week, it is a special. You're not watching with the screen if you're just listening to this basically christian and i are both in our own homes uh we're doing this remotely studio right now actually christian's playing with his high-tech things if you're listening he he just put a background of the studio there but we're really not at the studio um so with that we do want to say hey give us a little bit of grace with this one if we don't sound as good um it's because we don't have the quality microphones that we would normally would um, if we don't look as good, it's because we don't. Um, and to give you kind of an update of where we're at. So before we jump into the overtime edition where Christian was able to share with us this week, it was a brand new series that he's going to kind of start to give a little bit of background and insight into in a couple minutes. But before we jump into that, do want to just kind of remind you of where we're at. Uh, as we're recording this, as this goes live, it'll be March 24th, 2020. We are in the middle of the COVID-19 virus. That's just kind of we're saying is that it's three through January 31st. So we've kind of canceled all the events, just trying to keep with, with local and federal uh, officials and trying to follow the CDC guidelines to help. I think you meant March 31st. What did I just say? January. That's a long time. Did I say January? Oh, it's, really it's March long. 31st. Thanks for catching that. Otherwise, we wouldn't have got there. But but we're trying to be good neighbors, <laughs> trying to be responsible citizens. And so we've canceled all of our, we dealt with this before. Um, it's really difficult and kind of brand new to us to try and figure out how to do church without community. Um, but we feel like this is the prudent step that we need to take. So uh, the way that I would encourage you to stay up to date with us is that if you have our app, which if you don't have it, the way that you can get that is if you text the number 77977 and type the word CLC family, that's one word, and then the push notifications that we're sending through that. Also, our website online at clcfamily.church. Uh, and then also the last thing is through our Facebook and our social media pages, which is facebook.com slash clcfamily.church. So there's a lot of different things happening. We're trying to keep it up to date. If you have questions or you know somebody that maybe doesn't have access to the internet, they can always call our office number at 610-869-2140. So you can still contact up church. You can send questions there. A lot of different ways that you can connect with that. But I don't want to spend all the time talking about all that information because there's a ton of information. So that's where we're at with the COVID-19. We'll keep you updated on Tuesdays and Fridays about what that looks like. But we want to jump into the message. And so Christian, this week you started a brand new series with us. Yeah. Uh, can you kind of jump into uh, what the series is about and kind of so crazy the timing of that right um, because we're in a season right now where we just need a lot of hope we're in a season right now where things look and feel kind of grim and scary uh, unpredictable right uh, this is a kind of a season of life where we all have to confess we do not have control uh, and I think we're trying to do anything within our means to feel like we have some sort of control but we don't um, and so we have the responsibility to just hope well. So I just thought it was very timely that we're in this series called The Hope of Easter um, because as, as a community of people who, um, who follow Jesus, who buy into this gospel, we are a people that in any season of life can have hope. Uh, we find that even in the story. Sorry, I'm bumping the table. I'll be shaking a little bit. Um, uh, 
part of the the fun fun uh, process of figuring out how to do these uh, these online podcasts now. Um, identity. They've been scattered. They've experienced turmoil and pain. And so Luke's reminding them, just as Luke reminds us, so we have to have hope. We have to know that on the other end of this, um, God wins. Resurrection wins. Um, God proves to you know to be successful, and God shares that with us. God invites us into that. And so, um, so yeah. So I kind of uh, we're we're in this new series. Thought it was really timeful. The hope of Easter. You know, we need hope right now, especially because um, I kind of talk a little bit about this on. Um, on during the service and stuff, because I think it's important to remember. I think a lot of times when we look at this hopeful story in the Bible, um, we kind of reduce it. We have the habit of reducing it and maybe um, seeing it uh, in too small of a way. Um, we kind of reduce the amount of hope that we get from the story. Um, and I mentioned the quote, and I'll kind of repeat it if you didn't see the service. Um, it's by our lives in some way. Uh, and a lot of times people look at scripture, look at the gospel as advice. Um, we look at the New Testament as advice, uh, the Old Testament as advice. And so we kind of pull out this one verse and saying, wow, this is so powerful. Uh, how can I reorder my life to reflect what I think this verse is saying? But I think we have to go a little deeper than that. I think that's to view the Bible in such a way um, is to just see it, you know, in a matter that's a little too small, just changes uh, the realm of possibility. Um, it is wholly different than advice. It is it is something that just changes um, the the. It just changes everything. It's it's an event that happens that leaves in its wake a new way of possibilities, a new way of living, right? And uh, the examples I used were 9/11 uh, and this COVID-19, right? This this right. thing that's happening, this this event that's continuing to unfold that Luke is sharing with us um, is that as we want to look at this good news, this this hopeful news is something that really does change. Um, change the realm of possibilities for our life. And yeah. so um, that's pretty hopeful. That's it. I'm reminded that, gosh, this story is profound. It's so good. And even in the midst of COVID-19, in the midst of any pain that we could experiencing, we have reason to be hopeful, which is why I popped confetti. So podcast, but I totally forgot. Yeah, well, that would have been better because you would have done it in your home and I had to help clean up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Took us like 35 minutes to get all that confetti out of the, the, exactly. the room was kind of short, and so it was fun. <laughs> yeah, but uh, one of the, a couple things that I wanted to, to kind of talk through. So your main text that you used, uh, and you kind of got, bounced a little bit back and forth in, in between several of the different Gospels. In fact, you even pulled in some Old Testament. Yep, yeah, so that's kind of where we were looking at. And specifically, it's the, at least the heading, I think, in my Bible said the triumphant entry. So it's, it's Palm Sunday is what we were talking about. Um, most churches kind of do that on Palm Sunday. We kind of changed the, the order in which we're doing that as we're gearing up for Easter. We wanted to do that. But uh, one of the things to maybe poke a little bit of fun, uh, I just wanted to expand on was uh, you talking about, so this is your first time uh, communicating on a weekend. So how do you feel about the, the way that you were able to communicate through not necessarily like a live audience, but through a camera which is awkward and strange so it's strange because i remember a couple weeks ago when we sat down to kind of you know whenever you find out you're preaching you start writing the sermon in your head right, um, right. you know you start writing okay this is what we're going to talk about this is what we're going to say people will love it some will hate it right um and then when i, when I realized like oh i'm going to be doing this in front of a camera like i don't know it's just kind of weird because i kind of um I see there's something profound about being together and experiencing something together. 
there's something profound about um, all of us partnering together and journeying with this same narrative, almost kind of this, uh, um, it's like a communal identity that everyone was a little challenging. Right, right. In part because, you know, sometimes I would say a point or a, or a joke and I'm like, I don't know how they're responding to this, right? Um, because I do believe there's almost like a, an implicit uh, interaction with right. uh, the teacher. I, can, I like to consider myself a teacher in the congregation, right? Um, yeah. We kind of get to experience the word together. Uh, and so to not have that was weird, right? It was so strange. And, uh, um, yeah, and to try and trust that, that, you know, there's a dialogue happening, even if it's not in this sanctuary, right, right. it's in people's homes. And we got some great feedback that some people um, spent time talking about this in their homes. And so yeah, um, good. that's church, right? It's just a different format, but that's church. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I feel like so the week before I was able to preach and it just was the first week that we were online. And man, it, it's so hard to tell a joke yeah. online because you're like, huh, was that fun? You don't necessarily <laughs> we'll, have to know. You'll never know. Yeah. And the hope is that, um, you know, uh, we believe that uh, this isn't, uh, I don't think this is a hiccup in the life of the church. I don't believe right. this is a setback. I think it's right. just church differently. I've heard someone right. say, I can't remember who. I mean, this is what they did in the early church is they met in home. Right. Um, we just have the a benefit and the ability now of communicating um, online and through right. the internet right. and to people's devices right? that, um, uh, you know, that the church is, you know, slowing down because of this. I, I do think right. Right. a lot of churches respond in ways that have just been so creative and right. innovative uh, and to see God's spirit work through that. It's just been so cool. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So as you did kind of talk about confetti, I, I liked the idea of like bringing the idea of the confetti in because one of the things you talked about was how confetti for us in today's day and age, right? Like we view confetti as Times Square. There's always mm -hmm. some type of confetti, like tons and tons of confetti. Yeah. You think of, uh, I don't know, I guess one of the things I think of when you say victory, I think of like political parties. Like when there's a celebration, there's confetti that falls. Like I thought that that was a great idea to help us kind of understand in maybe in today's terms, how confetti is a big part of celebration for us. Yeah. So I guess I'm just kind of curious in that. So help can you celebration? Is it just because like you mentioned in the service that Lazarus was risen from the grave? Did they come out just to see Jesus because of what he's done or like yeah. what I guess help set the stage for that? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of reasons why there's a lot of people in Jerusalem uh, Passover. And so this is yeah. a huge uh, probably one of the biggest uh, Jewish celebrations to remember. Um, I mean, because they, they have their Hebrew Bible, and so they look at the story of, you know, way back when, um, when they look back and celebrate about that. So you have people coming in from all of the countryside um, to the synagogue to celebrate and to, um, to, yeah, just to undergo these celebrations, right? So that's one, I think, reason. A second thing is Jesus is near the tail end of his ministry. Um, we understand that he maybe he did ministry for about three years. Um, Okay. And at this point in time, he, uh, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this in the sermon or not, but the book of Luke's broken down into three where we understand that he is crucified, but then comes back, to, uh, is resurrected, right? Comes back to life. Right. Um, so he's near the tail end of his ministry, which means he's interacted with a lot of people at this point in time. Yeah, um, right. In fact, thousands, we see documented, uh, documented stories in the gospels that he fed. Um, there's one story where he fed 4,000 people and there's another where he fed 5,000 people. But you have to remember in those times, they only documented men. They only wrote down, they only counted for that, um, for that fact, they, they only documented the men here. So there's a good chance that actually each feeding, there could have been between 6,000 to 10,000. You know, we really don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus has impacted a lot of people. 
and he yeah. surprised a lot of people um, and he served and loved on a lot of people. And that's, and so we have this whole crowd of people following him because they're like, this is the guy who fed so many people profound things. Um, and again, they can kind of see him as a figure of hope, like, gosh, if he can do these things, imagine what else he could do. Right. Um, and so they see him uh, in such high regard. They see his works and they associate that with God's blessing might, must be on him. You know, he must be of God or something like that. Right. Um, because not many people can do that. And so, I mean, I can imagine today's day and age, if someone's doing, uh, making influence, doing something profound like that, you're going to follow that guy. Right. Um, so in part, I think, uh, I think, and Luke, or, or John's account talks about this. And then Luke's does as well that, you know, they saw what he was doing and they were intrigued. And so they followed. And so I think in part, that's, an, that's another reason why there were a lot of people in Jerusalem. And so this is a really big week in Jerusalem. Um, because there are a ton of people there. In fact, I remember uh, in grad school, um, I, what was it? I can't remember the exact figure uh, during the, um, like Manhattan's got skyscrapers, right? In New York. And even with skyscrapers in Manhattan, Jerusalem would have been much more crowded per square mile without any skyscrapers. Um, and so here we have, uh, there's a lot, a lot of people in Jerusalem. Um, which then is a little stress on the government, right? Uh, they have to start taking care of these people somehow, um, meeting their needs somehow for the most profound story we will ever see unfold. Uh, so naturally, some of the religious leaders are tense because they see this happening. Some of the political leaders, which the religious leaders could have been considered political leaders in some way, um, are tense and upset seeing this unfold. And so, um, which probably explains why they ask, hey, just tell your people to stop shouting Hosanna because if they keep shouting Hosanna, uh, Caesar does not like that. Because Caesar. But we'll we'll see what it looks like in the final product. So yeah. And if you guys have questions, you can let us know. <laughs> yeah, um, I do. So that I feel like that was a good segue. So you started talking about this donkey, this cult that Jesus rode into, and and in Luke nineteen, that's where it kind of picks up, where Jesus sends his disciples to go find this this donkey. Um, I, I guess a couple questions and. And I think you did do a good job explaining this in the message. So this is a little bit of rehashing of what we've already talked about of the donkey. And what is the significance of – this was almost a sub-point that I think you made. But you, you talk about that donkey kind of being sacred or set apart or, or something. like. So I just wanted to kind of draw a little bit of attention back to that again. So what was, again, the significance of the donkey – or, or this cult, and, and what did you mean by it being kind of sanctified or, yeah. or like kind of un, it was unwritten? So what impact included is important. Um, uh, the the writers of the scriptures were very incredibly intellectual uh, and bright. Um, you know, you could spend hours studying this passage and still be unearthing some truths in it. But I, so I think Luke's including that little detail um, about this this donkey had not been written before was significant because. Um, it implies, uh, it implies that it's, it's kind of pure. It's an unwritten donkey. It's like when you buy this donkey, it's unwritten. Um, and so that implies it's almost reserved for a sacred task right. and uh, what more sacred a task than to, um, to bring the King into Jerusalem, to bring the King right. of Kings into Jerusalem. Right. And so, um, I also saw, I was just thinking about this a minute ago. Actually, I didn't think about this till now. This isn't, uh, Jesus first time in scripture that we see him on a donkey, uh, when, uh, when his mother, uh, is, he almost does so on a donkey. And so here we have him entering Jerusalem 
on a donkey, right? Um, and so in both images, we have uh, this, this, and I know I mentioned in the sermon that a donkey was a common animal used for like middle, lower class. And right. so um, the King of Kings is identifying with that class in this way. That's how he's entering the world. But then also um, it, that, that donkey communicates because in, in that time, it symbolized peace, um, uh, humility. And so uh, I think, I think, and one of my favorite artists writes about this, we always learn about God and how God reveals himself. Everything that we know about God is because God decided to reveal God's self to us in some way. And so here um, we're learning about God just by God's decision to ride a donkey. And so we learn that, oh, okay, God's uh, identifying with, you know, um, with the oppressed and the poor, right? But also coming in on a donkey and almost no one expects it, right? A lot of people miss it. They're waiting for some profound thing to happen, but nope, there's, you see that guy? He's riding the donkey and his feet are dragging on the ground. Like that's the king of kings, right? And so it's pretty profound. So I think God's revealing and teaching us more about himself just by how he's deciding to enter Jerusalem. So right. I think it's so amazing. Like I thought that you made a really good point because no king of Grand Theft Auto, like like should have stole a Mustang, like something, yeah. a Mustang or a stallion, something that was like profound, majestic exactly. and beautiful and like yeah showed power and dominance. That's not what Jesus was, what he did. And we'll get to kind of the second part later, but what I think is so amazing is to see the contrast of what these Jews and this crowd living in Jerusalem, the way they saw their King and the way ministry in his life, like even just being born in, in basically a stable, right? Like being born in a manger and placed in, like he was not for the elite of the world. He was for everyone. He was for the common people. He was for the rich. He was for the young. He was for the poor. He was for the old. Like Jesus came for everyone. And I think that the contrast is so fun to see for me because you have this crowd that is who's humbly low entering the city and not, you know, it was a big scene, but I don't know if Jesus was looking for a big scene. Yeah. Yeah. That moment. So I guess, can you talk maybe about that contrast of like, so how, so Jesus is coming in, he gets this donkey, the disciples put their coats on it. Jesus gets on board. He starts his way into Jerusalem and then the response of the city, um, as you talked about on Sunday. So there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's good. I'm just writing some, my own notes actually. So, yeah, so here we have this moment. This is probably not the first time a lot. Uh, I mean, maybe it's the first time some of these people experience it, but it's definitely not the first time something like this has happened. Yeah. Um, because as we've talked about, um, all of these things have so much symbolism and meaning in that context. And I think it, 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 does, it, it does as well if we try and understand what it is. And so um, to establish them as a nation, they're supposed to protect their people uh, and, and kind of guide their people per se, right? We even see, if you go all the way back in the scripture, one of the, the first problems uh, in the story of the Israelites is God is their king, but what do they do? They demand a, a, an actual king on earth, right? right. They demand right. someone to lead them, um, to lead their people. And so even in their whole history, they made horrible decisions and really um, messed up their ability to be a nation, right? Uh, and so... So then prophecies, prophecies come about of, you know, there's a king that's going to be coming riding in on a donkey. And so they're seeing this unfold. And they're like, this is it. 
This is our king who's going to establish us as a nation. This is our king who's going to deliver us from our oppressors, which was Rome in that time. Rome um, was the biggest superpower in that world, the biggest mega power. Uh, and so they were looking for someone to uh, right here. Um, this is our king. This is it. And so they do all of these rituals that you would see um, them do and they welcome kings. You know, you got the palm branches, which uh, in some context they would do for war heroes who would come into town. They would do for kings who would come into town. It was a sign of uh, kind of nationalism and victory. And so um, there's almost kind of a, um, a connotation of, uh, you know, who they are as a people, their identity as a nation. Like, could this be it? Could we be finding victory to become king, right? So they are treating Jesus just as they would treat any king coming into town. Um, but you have to kind of beg the question, like, what is it? Do they? What is it that they think Jesus is here to do? Right? Because right. I think I suspect um, that that's maybe where the disconnect is. Because Jesus is coming here, and his work is something that no one could ever write up. His right. plan, um, which no political leader, no one would ever come to. Um, and so it goes to show that God's up to something, and His plan is wholly different right. than anything they could have written, anything they could have conjured up. But here we have them treating him as they would a king. And yeah. so you got to ask, like, do they expect that Jesus is going to do A, B, and C for them? Or right. is he here right. to do something totally different? Right. Uh, and we've come to find that it's the latter, because then after they realize Jesus ain't going to do what we need him to do, uh, less than a week, right? That's, that's, we're a fickle people. Right. <laughs> we, right. um, we change quickly. Uh, and it stinks. It's unfortunately maybe called sin nature or what have you lack of faith. I, I really don't know. I don't want to sum it up too, too quickly, but um, we are a fickle people that um, kind of go with the wind sometimes. And that's, that's yeah. kind of harmful in some ways. So, and I think yeah. that we find that in this instance, and I'm sure there were people, we do see people in the story who understood from the, I don't know the guy, like never met him, <laughs> you know? And so, um, yeah, we're just a really fickle people that um, uh, yeah. I think our vision of God's just much too small. Yeah. Oh, one of the, what could be a small detail, and I love the fact that you included it, is that uh, the, the religious leaders were, were telling Jesus to basically have, silence the people, silence the people, don't let them, you know, cry out. Like, and who knows, that could have been for self-preservation by Rome. Yep. So it could have been a self-preservation. Most likely it was probably because the Jews hated Jesus at this point. Like they were searching for ways to kill him. And yeah, this is ultimately the, the yeah. climax of him being crucified by the Jews. But like what I, what I love is just that statement that when, when Jesus is told his disciples should stop declaring, like stop saying it, it's just that statement that if they would be quiet, then the rocks would cry out all kings here on earth. But he was also the king of all creation. Like, yeah. so I don't know. I just, yeah. I get excited when I hear that. But maybe is there any additional thoughts that you wanted to bring into that? Or yeah. So this highlights his very divinity, essentially, right? Because what he's declaring here is I'm the king of the cosmos and the king of <laughs> all creation, which I feel like it's very funny to say that in response to this inquiry from the Pharisees. Do that, and they could even hurt us. And Jesus just takes it a step further. Right? Please. Here. He's like, okay, like I'm not just the king of these Jews crying out Hosanna right now, but I'm king of the Gentiles. I'm king of yeah. Rome. And yes, even the very rocks, I'm king of all creation. And so that's a really profound, profound thing, right? And it's yeah. interesting. I think I remember um, Josh sharing this with me at one point in time. Um, we see that when he's crucified. Wait, 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 hold on. 
I got a phone call to my. You need to get that Christian. Yeah, yeah, all right. Uh, so that. To, here it is again. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna keep declining it if they keep calling back. So sorry. Um, so here we have. It's just part of the one fun components of being online in this way. That's everybody. right. Yeah. That's right. My dogs have been actually really good. Like I had to put one inside of her crate because she was going crazy two minutes before we started. I've got another 15 minutes. So we're going to try and wrap this up earlier then. Yeah. So we have this moment. Yeah. The rocks cry out and it's a profound yeah. moment where again, Jesus is always, and God's always um, revealing more about himself through how he acts on the earth. Right. And so yeah. in this moment, uh, in this response that Jesus has, he's just revealing more about himself that I'm, the, I'm, I'm not only fully man, but I'm fully God, which you never say that you are God because you're God, I'm king of kings. Um, that's putting a massive target on his back, right? Um, so really, I just thought it was a really cool response. That, yeah, that was, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, like it's, you can't, even if I was to tell them quiet, everything else will glorify me. Like yeah. all of creation will. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I'm just kind of looking at my notes here. Uh, one of the things that you said is that um, that our view of God is, and then less than a week later, they're going crucify him. Like, what do you mean that our view of God is too small? Like, how do we begin to change our view of God? Like, I guess that's a uh, even that I'm I'm thinking through that even more as as we're doing that. Like, so how do I assess whether or not I have too small of a view of God, and then how do I begin to change that? Um, is I guess my question in that. Yeah, and I'll preface it by saying, and if I could fully understand God, then God would be really small. Right. And, um, right. and I don't know if I'd want to follow a God that I can fully understand, right? And so right. Right. part of God's nature is that there's mystery. There's components that us as finite beings cannot understand, and yeah. that's okay. And so right off the bat, we all have to be comfortable with sitting in the mystery sometimes. Yeah. And we have to be, but it doesn't mean that we can't continue to do the work of theology. But I remember I was reading a book um, not too long ago. It kind of summarized how I think a lot of people view God in today's world. And I think this could even apply to the story of our ancient audience, right? These, these people were crying out, Hosanna. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher the term, but it's Latin. And I think it's Deus ex machina, um, which means God of the machine. And so it's this idea of like, you know, machines, they produce uh, you know, the industrial is a God who is a means to our end, a God who produces stuff for us, a God who, when I'm in trouble, will swoop in and save the day. But when right. I'm doing all right, when life is fine, I don't necessarily need God, right? right. Um, and so I think a lot of times, especially in the 21st century, um, a lot of people just view God as kind of, you know, maybe a magic genie or um, kind of this, you know, grandfather that if we need help for something, we'll go to him and like, you know, I don't know, get whatever resource. Not, it doesn't say that they worship God because he's king of kings. They worship Jesus yeah. because of who he is. But they said, man, he can do a lot. He's the God of the machine. Of the machine. If we need help, he will swoop in and save the day. And so um, first thing that we have to do is just identify these ways of which um, we view God and try and figure out, is this, is this accurate? Am I only, you know, perceiving God to be like a, you know, use whatever metaphor you, you can to try and understand how we think of God, but am I seeing him as Lord of my life, right? Um, someone I will trust everything to, even when I don't get it. And even when I don't understand, uh, and this is a hard process. And I think it best takes place in community with other people who are wrestling with the same things. It, it's a regular thing that we always have to come back to because I think a lot of life experiences force us sometimes to ask questions, new questions about, you know, who's yeah. God and what's God up to. 
Um, yeah. Like seeing crisis or, you know, is this the end? Like what is happening here? What is God doing? Is God doing anything? Is God here? Right. And so um, I don't know. It's a, it's a hard process, but I think what we have to keep coming back to is like, the, if you want the best picture of who God is, like the gospels are that, right? We right. have the story of God in flesh, in the world, um, present with us. And so if we want to learn more about who God is, we do ultimately have to come back to the story uh, and learn that way. And as I said, we have to be comfortable with the mystery. Um, there's parts about God that I don't understand. And I went to seminary, like, and I still, you know, um, but God's is really big. And that goes to show that um, God is always bigger than, you know, what I could understand. God is big, always bigger than my view of him. And so we have to be comfortable with that. Um, and if we aren't willing to be comfortable with that, then it'll be a harder journey than it needs to be. Yeah. yeah. So uh, kind of continue. Then he ultimately cries over the city. Yeah. Um, like he's seeing Jerusalem and he's kind of seeing the future that would happen or will happen. Um, and, and within, uh, with ramparts being built up to it. And he's, uh, I think most scholars would believe that he's referencing a time that Luke is actually writing after, right? Like, so Luke's account of it is recalling that Jesus is talking about the church, the widespread panic. And then we even see Luke's writing. So Luke is writing in a time that's after all of this, but he's talking about the time that was before all of this. Yeah. And Jesus is looking ahead to the time. So it's kind of, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I, I, what can you kind of share about that? Like g- give us any more insight into um, that destruction or that like what Jesus saw in advance and then what Luke had the opportunity to know about as writers he- are always, again, they're writing in a specific context at a specific time where right. there are specific events unfolding. Right. So, um, and I, I didn't do too much. I didn't do as much reading as I would have preferred to about some of the backstory here, but what we do know, what I, I did come to understand is that, um, there's a very big need for people to, um, they've been passing down this narrative orally for quite some time. Um, in fact, a lot of the gospels have been passed down a, a, uh, this urban audience who is in experiencing great persecution. Uh, their nation has been scattered. The temples destroyed. That was like their center for worship. Uh, and actually the temple was a, it had a lot of political, um, it, was, it was a center for all politics, for all, um, religion for society, basically. And so when you destroy the temple, um, that really is questions who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, and some of the reading that I did about the text of Luke, Luke was trying to remind the believers um, of this story so that they can keep pressing on. Um, because again, as we talked about earlier, news opens up a new set of possibilities. Right. And so right. what Luke is trying to do is remind them that this is the story that's happened. This is what's happened. Um, this is what God is up to something, right? Uh, and Luke's not telling them that God's taking them out of their pain right now. He's not telling them that God's gonna, God's fixing it now. But what Luke is reminding them is that our king, our king of kings defeated death. And so we trust that if God's capable of doing that, God's capable of a lot. It may not look or feel or be the way that we want it to be, um, but let me remind you that this is the God that um, this is the God that saved us and is saving us. In the the book of Luke in Luke one, he writes it to Theodopolis. I can't remember the exact name. Yeah, and I remember um, that name was actually a Roman name, and it would be a name given to someone with great authority. And so he's writing, if I'm remembering that correctly. But what he's doing is he's writing it down and he's giving it to someone in great authority so they can, you know, uh, 
get that out there, right? Pass it around. Because we don't know. If, most people probably weren't terribly been a little while since I read some of that. But he's writing to this this guy who's got authority and he's saying, hey, this is the story. Pass it around, right? So. Okay, great. Well, I do want to get to um, kind of your three points, your takeaways. Yeah. Um, but before I did that, and I, and I don't want to go too deeply into this, one of the things that I think was impactful, like it, it meant a lot, was as, as you, you spoke on um, on Saturday and on Sunday about just kind of the, the situation where you're at with, with you. I think that this is a, a difficult season, um, but I know that you talked about it. So I guess uh, one of the things that I, it was, it was good because it made it relatable because you, you talked about in some sense, you are like the crowd where you're going praise, like save us Lord. And then, then you're also going, Lord, I don't understand. So crucify. And so I felt like I connected pretty well, probably with most of our viewers or listeners as well, that they could relate to what there's difficulty there. So I guess I'm asking, I guess in a sense, I'm thanking you for, for being vulnerable and, and real in that kind of makes you have to share with your dad. I think that we as a church, and let me just talk to everybody that's listening, continue to lift up Christian and his entire family as they're walking through the season. Um, I think that's the way that you can help. So um, this is, we do want to give a little bit of space and let this be something that they're walking through, but just lift them. I don't want to, it's weird because I don't want to talk about that, yeah. but I just wanted to kind of talk about that and say, man, I, I appreciate it because I can relate with when things are going well, I'm, I'm good. But yeah. when God, I don't understand, things aren't necessarily good. So I don't yeah. know if there's a question in that, but uh, but one of the things that you did say is that when we hurt, you truly believe that God hurts as well. So I, I didn't know if there was anything more that you wanted to share in that. What is not true? Because I feel like, um, I feel like as a people who hate pain, like no one likes pain ever. Yeah. Um, somehow along the line, our narrative has become that God doesn't want us to experience pain. God wants us to always be happy. Um, while I don't think, while I believe God doesn't like pain, um, we somehow wrestle with the reality that God lets it happen. Right. As Josh would say. Um, so we have to, we have to, you know, that once we kind of come to the faith that everything will be made right. In fact, a lot of times it says things will get more difficult. Carrying your cross, uh, is not a very fun invitation. Um, and so I feel like we just have to kind of correct our understanding there. Um, things that we do see true all the time in scripture, um, is that God never forsakes his people, even in, um, like even in the midst of pain, right? Um, like the one kind of, um, God's present in, in all of our pain. I believe that God mourns when we mourn, when we hurt, um, just like any parent would mourn if their child is hurting. Right. Um, and so we know those things to be true. Um, um, but we have to steer clear of the idea that God wants, you know, um, that we're not going to experience pain in life. Um, because I think, as I mentioned, it's part of the collateral damage. That, um, one of my teachers, as I mentioned, the sermon talked, said metaf- uh, sin is like a disease. And I think it's, uh, I really love that metaphor because I think a lot of times we see sin as just the actions like, Oh, I sinned because I lied or I sinned because I stole. Um, I think sin is actually like a disease. It's more of a condition and it manifests itself in the symptoms, which is my making decisions to harm my neighbor myself or um uh to not love god right and so you live in this with this condition without thinking there's anything wrong right um and in that people make decisions like i can make decisions that not only hurt myself but they hurt people i love um and they didn't do anything wrong they're just victims of the collateral damage of my decisions right and i think 
Um, because we experience pain today is because this disease is rampant, because people choose their own way over God's all the time and for sin, right? And so um, we have to reframe our thinking about pain to we essentially are invited to live in the tension of we still live in a broken world um, where people make decisions that have collateral damage. And so in that regard, we will experience pain still, but we know that God is redeeming and restoring all of that. Um, God gives us a picture of a day when no pain will be present, right? Rewiring our thinking, rewiring our living, our habits and stuff like that uh, as a product of the deeper work that God has done through forgiveness, through the cross and stuff like that. And so um, I don't know if I'm making that any more confusing or if that helps provide clarity. Um, but I think uh, people, what, some of my professors have said, we're, we're living in the time of already, but not yet. God's already redeemed everything. God's already like done the work on the cross. Hope, big hope for the day when, um, as scripture talks about, all will be made right. Um, New Jerusalem will come right. Everything Every wrong will be made right. Every tear shed, uh, there'll be tear, tears no more, right? And so we have to live in that tension. And that's got to be the way at which we view our pain and our circumstances that, gosh, I'm, just, I'm still experiencing some of the collateral damage of living in a very, very broken, messy world. But we have big hope because we know. Ways were to have big hope, to cry Hosanna, and to throw some confetti. So yeah. I guess uh, anything that you would add as we kind of start to wrap up, uh, I think we might be a little bit more than 45 minutes. I don't know exactly what time we started, but uh, um, as we wrap up, anything you wanted to share with those three takeaways, have big hope, cry Hosanna, um, and throw some confetti and or any final thoughts that you just kind of wanted to add. Yeah, I'd probably, uh, after I, was, I would say, which is actually one of my favorite books of the Bible, there is a time for mourning and a time for celebration. Right. So I do believe that we always have a reason to celebrate, but sometimes... We just might need the space to mourn and the grief that we have a disease, that the world is really messy and broken. Right. Um, I do believe that grieving and mourning are good things. They're tools given to us by God to navigate pain. And I think they are best exercise. Um, pain isn't real and important. Right. Right. Um, we do always have a reason to throw confetti. But again, as, as Quohelet, the writer of Ecclesiastes would say, is, there's a time for mourning and a time for uh laughter or celebration um and so we always have a reason to celebrate but it's okay sometimes that we live in the tension and that we mourn and that we experience the emotions that god's given us god gave us our emotions so they must not be a bad thing we were kind of in a process like you know my dad's not healthy right now so we're mourning the loss of our healthy dad right um he's he's still fighting right now but you know in a sense, uh, we've kind of lost our, our healthy father and that he's not, um, he's not healthy as he once was, right? And so there's a process, like it's a, it's a grieving process that we all walk through, um, is wrestling with this, this brokenness that we experience, this pain, this loss. So that's good. Um, have those moments. Please have those times. Experience God um, will redeem and restore that. Again, as, as scripture talks about, there's going to be a time where none of this has happened, that we get to rejoice eternally with each other and with God. And so... For that reason, um, in the bleakest of seasons, we can celebrate and throw confetti. We can celebrate because we know um, we know how the story ends, and it's really, really good, right? And so that's where our big hope comes from as well. We know the end. So yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I just want to say thank you to everybody that is listening and/or watching. Thank you for joining us um, for another episode of, of Overtime and. We plan to continue to be meeting online, both on church, 
uh, for Wednesday. We, we have devotionals that we're going to be doing. Each staff member is going to be doing something for that. Um, for however to like with COVID-19 and just we're trying to follow the recommendations of on Tuesdays and Fridays and trying to give the church updates and just trying to figure out what needs to happen. Um, if you know somebody who needs to be updated, please, please, please let us know. You can do that from our website. You can call us on the office number. You can do that through Facebook. Pretty much any way that you know how to get in touch with us, please do. Um, that pretty much wraps up our time here for overtime. Um, Christian, anything that you wanted to add as final thoughts or for anything? It doesn't feel like it. So, um, yeah. yeah, find some confetti, throw it around, and invite people to join you in the process. And yeah, so we love you guys. We miss you. We mi miss the meeting face-to-face -face and being Me able too. to do church together. But this is the season that we're in, and we know that God has got good things in store even for this time. So contact us if you have questions. We'll try and keep you updated as best we can. And have a great week, and yeah. we'll see you. Take care. Bye.